What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Combos Over Cold Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. I am literally sitting on my porch in Portland, Oregon right now. I am completely editing this podcast remotely without my computer. So I'm recording a voice memo on my phone. Love that for us. But we're getting it done. And today's episode is something pretty special. We're talking to Lenny Waite, who is a sports psychologist for a bunch of the super elite runners or just honestly any runners at any level and we talk about a bunch of different questions that kind of have to do with sports psychology and running what people are going through mentally and how runners are dealing with it so I think this episode is really informative it's actually going to be a video format too as a part of the ask the expert series on my youtube channel the video version isn't edited yet but I just wanted to post the full podcast version because honestly it was a really good recording with her so I hope you guys enjoy that and let Let's get into it. Also, this is the last episode of season two. I know, I know, we're all sad, but I'm going to take a little vacation for the next two weeks. We've had quite a few episodes, so I hope you guys have enjoyed season two of this year. Season three is going to start pretty soon here, the first week of September, so you guys won't have to wait too long for new episodes. Yeah, again, the past two seasons have been incredible, and I'm really just glad that you guys love the podcast and you've been listening and rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, telling your friends. It really means a lot to me, and I honestly have a really good time with it. So again, thank you guys for listening, and stay tuned for the last episode of season two. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is the first USDA-certified organic meal kit company that makes eating well, easy, and affordable, plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. So whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or you're just looking to eat healthier like me, there's something for everyone. I am already so excited for my next Green Chef box to be delivered next week back in San Diego with my family. I can't wait to cook them all amazing meals. The best thing about Green Chef is that it takes a very small amount of time. It literally only takes like 30 minutes because ingredients come pre-measured and mostly prepped for you, which is absolutely amazing. Also, the thing about Green Chef is that it just tastes amazing. All the recipes are definitely things that I would never be able to make on my own, so it makes it really easy because Green Chef delivers it straight to your door. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, so premium ingredients like organic veggies and high-quality proteins are given. Their expert chefs design flavorful meals that go way beyond ordinary no matter what's on your menu, so... You literally can't go wrong with any of the boxes or any of the meals because every single one I've had has been amazing. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, and with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone. I like to switch between the brands just depending on how my taste buds change. If you guys are interested, go to greenchef.com slash coldbrew100 and use code coldbrew100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. That is greenchef.com slash coldbrew100 and use code coldbrew100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. Now let's get straight into the episode. Okay, to get started, do you want to just give a little intro of uh, like your just yourself and your qualifications in your field? Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm Dr. Lenny Wade. I have my doctorate in psychology. I am a certified mental performance consultant. Um, I'm on the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee of Sports Psychology um, Professionals. I chair the USA Track and Field Sports Psychology Services. I'm also currently a director of a master's program at the University of St. Thomas in Houston um, in applied sport and performance psychology. And I was an Olympian in the 3000 meter steeplechase. Okay, so in, you in have, a nutshell. <laughs> you put the repertoire there. Thank um, you. What sort of athletes do you work with mostly? 
Yeah, so I, when I started off my practice, I worked mainly um, like a lot with high school athletes, um, even middle school athletes. So when I first got started, a lot of youth athletes. Now, because of my position with USA Track and Field, I work a lot with professional athletes, um, even you know athletes transitioning into that professional sport, sporting arena and athletes even transitioning out, plus athletes currently competing in the Olympic Games. Um, on top of that, I really love working with high school athletes who are trying to run Division One. I. I just find it super Super fun. I think there are a lot of misconceptions on what you have to do in high school to make it to that division one level. And I love to kind of intervene and probably reduce some of the stress and the anxiety and the I have to or else kind of um, thinking that a lot of these athletes have. And then, yeah, even work with like other sports. So I have um, like a Taekwondo athlete that I work with. that will be competing in the Olympics. I work with like football players, baseball players, but running is obviously my sweet spot because that's what I spent so much time doing. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. It holds a place in your heart, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. How did you get into sports psychology? Um, okay, well, this is so I was obviously a athlete um, and a professional athlete and I, did my, so I'll back up a little bit. So I actually went to Rice University to play soccer. So I played soccer and I ran track both throughout high school. I was recruited to do both in the NCAA. Um, as most people are listening to this podcast, they're probably runners. They know running is super painful. Some people love that aspect of it. I hated that aspect of it. So I was like the type of athlete where sometimes in high school it would be like 40 minute run. I'd run like 10 minutes so my coach couldn't see me, just kind of hang out for a bit and run 10 minutes back. Um, I was, you know, just constantly active because I would do track practice, soccer practice. So I was definitely fit enough, um, but I, I just didn't love running. I didn't love it being all on me. I, I felt a lot of pressure and I didn't handle that well. So when I had the opportunity to play soccer in college, I took that overrunning. Um, now the, the coach at Rice University, he coached my older sister, Katie, and she was a great runner. So he knew when he saw me, he knew he was like, you are doing the wrong sport. Like you were going to be an excellent runner. Um, and he, he did a really good job of making running super fun and recruiting me off of the soccer field. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I think I lost track on the original question. <laughs> How did you get into sports psych? Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So I'm getting there. Um, so then, so then he taught me how running was super fun and he, he took away all the elements that I had feared. Nothing was like, you have to run, you know, this many miles a week or you're going to be bad. He would literally be like, why don't you see how long you can run today? And like next week, let's like run a little bit further for your long run. And he would make it, he would make it not overwhelming for me. Um, and he would, you know, just do silly things like today's going to be a great day on race day. He was so over the top and so enthusiastic um, and just truly like made me fall in love with the sport again. Um, and I took away a lot of that pressure and that anxiety. Now, he and like other people were really impactful in making um, my kind of career in sports psychology. But there was a time where I actually didn't want to work with athletes. And I think it's because when I left Rice, I one, I was continuing to become a professional athlete. Um, my parents said I absolutely couldn't just be a professional athlete. They were very determined that I do something else. So I was like, I guess I'll do my PhD. Um, and I actually chose to do my PhD in industrial organizational psychology because it kind of gives some flexibility of applying those sports psychology skills to like businesses and working organizations. And when people were like, oh, you should be a sports psychologist. I was like, oh, athletes are like super challenging to work with. Like, 
they're, and they are right. Like they have these really big goals. Like everybody wants to compete at the Olympics. They want a medal. Sometimes they're realistic. Sometimes they're not. It's really emotional. It's really high stress. They invest a lot into it. And I was like, I just don't know if I can do that for a career. If I can continue to help these people do this thing that is like so, so difficult to make. Um, so I kind of started working a little bit more on the organizational side of doing like work motivation and the industrial organizational side of psychology, but it became evident really quickly that my sweet spot was with athletes. And once I started working with athletes, I fell in love with it. Um, and so just kind of through that pathway of having my coach support me and my academic advisor, my PhD program, they continued to just kind of push me down that athletic route. And once I opened up to it, I was like, okay, this isn't like athletes aren't so bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think because you have that personal tie in, it makes it even more relatable to what they're going through. So I can imagine that that would just, it's probably more seamless than the work motivation talk. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And you know, like work motivation and, and getting people like hiring the right people, creating the right culture to work like in, in a work environment, it's fun. But at the end of the day, you know, what's super fun helping somebody like try and make an Olympic team, like, win <laughs> like it is more high stakes and like high pressure and like few and further between, but that journey is like, is it's an awesome journey to be on with an athlete. Yeah. What, okay. So the highest level of runners that are coming to you or any sport, what problems are they dealing with? Why are they coming to you? Gosh, I'm probably like the same problems that everyday people have, like motivational issues, um, issues with burnout, like wondering if they should continue to do it, questioning kind of their purpose in the sport, um, coach, like coach relationship issues, issues with like communication with teammates. Those are probably like the, the top of the list that come to mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I'm, I'm sure those issues are just familiar to people who are not athletes. <laughs> yeah. And I was like writing out that question. And I was like, I bet it's just like the exact same as what a lot of the, like high school runners are dealing with. I think it just is kind of this, the same at all levels. I mean, because I ran all through college and basically I think all of the problems kind of stayed the same throughout my entire like time period as a runner. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, you know, people have this misconception that these athletes even who, like training at the division one level or training for the olympics are so motivated like they just wake up in the morning raring to go not the case yeah okay well that's a good question like how how do you deal with someone that is struggling with motivation to get out the door to get their workout in yeah so it's a lot of kind of re redefining your purpose or reworking a little bit on your identity. So some people feel like they can't get out of the door anymore because they're experiencing that burnout, right? Their entire life, everybody who knows them, knows them as an athlete, everywhere they go, they're kind of asked about their performances um, and they just haven't done a great job of developing anything else that is relevant to who they are as a person. Uh, and so part of increasing motivation again is actually trying to find some balance in life. And balance is one of those things that you know, we talk a lot about and it, it, is kind of, it kind of evades a lot of people. It's really hard to hold on to. Um, but I think about it as like, just like simple things, like what, like what else do you like to do? Who else is important to you? And kind of exploring these other aspects that are, that are not related to sport can oftentimes light a fire back into somebody um, for doing the sport. And then throughout the trajectory of somebody's career, like when you're running in high school, you're running because you are naturally competitive. You want to beat people. You want to run at division one. And then that reasoning, like kind of your motivation there is pretty clear. And you have a coach with a stringent schedule and teammates and it 
it's kind of self like that that system just supports you and then you go to college and your why may why are you doing it may shift a little bit so you may do it you're like well I, well I have my scholarship so now why am I doing it and some people are like well do I actually like it or do I not like it and hopefully the answer is yes um, but some people might realize that they actually don't love it and those people it's important to figure out well what can you get out of this like you've made this commitment to run for this school is it can you be a role model for somebody can you do it for family members can you create like a really great narrative that supports your journey and kind of overcoming some of the adversities of being a division one athlete can you see value outside of just the times and the wins and the losses so i explore that a lot with athletes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The burnout thing I can very much relate to. It's it really is about identity and like not having a purpose outside of it. And then you just kind of you kind of freak out that that's like the only thing that you have in your life. And just I mean, I could talk about that for days just from personal experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's interesting that a lot of people deal with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, another question or like topic that I got asked a lot about you probably saw this coming was confidence wise and just like getting to the starting line, like feeling good or just like in day-to-day life in your running workouts, how would you tell someone to, or what would you do to help someone increase their confidence out on the track? Okay. Well, um, so confidence can come from a few areas, but right. The primary place it has to come is, is from within. So you need to be, and like, I kind of challenge athletes this. I'm like, Hey, if you look in the mirror, can you tell yourself like, I'm, I'm good enough to win that state champion, or I'm good enough to get that division one scholarship and like truly believe it. And a lot of them are like, no. And then I kind of challenge them. Well, like, if you don't believe it, then why, like, how can you have the expectation that the coach who's going to invest that scholarship in you believes it? Or how do you have the expectation that your coach who's giving you your high school coach who's giving you your workouts is, is going to believe it. And so really figuring out where that gap is, why don't they believe it? Is it because they, a lot of people have these like just kind of self-deprecating thoughts or they have some perfectionistic tendencies and that can be one avenue to explore and how to build confidence and trying to tear down some of their fundamental beliefs about themselves and rebuild something that's actually more realistic. Um, Other people don't have confidence because they haven't really spent time thinking about the progress that they've made because they're so fixated on one outcome. And all humans have this tendency to hold on to negative information. So if you've had one bad race or one bad workout or one bad experience, that can take up a lot of room in your brain. But when you break it down and you kind of look at the seven days a week and you ask an athlete, hey, out of these seven days, how many days were good? Five or six normally, and maybe they had one bad day, but what are they basing their confidence off of? that one bad day. So just like pointing out kind of the flaws in that thinking and being like, okay, so you had actually, you had three great days. You had two mediocre days. You had one so-so day and like one bad day. How was the week overall? Actually, the week was good. Um, And that, but that takes time of reflecting on some of the more mundane elements of training and actually like spending the time to think, okay, today was, was a good day. um, Instead of just focusing on, on the bad, which is, is more natural. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that definitely, that definitely makes sense. Hits home. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. How, how important is the mental side of running? Do you think in terms of performance? Yeah, I think, I think it's really important. There's obviously a baseline of like physical skills that somebody has to have, but then beyond that, I mean, you can take matchups of, and I think about this a lot because I think in, in high school, 
there were a lot of athletes who had the same physical skills, if not like kind of better physical skills um, than I had. And I see athletes that I work with who, you know, they have teammates who have the same physical skills, but one of them will make it and the other one will, will why? Um, and I think a lot of that is the mentality and specifically the athletes who make it they will have those bad days. They will have bad races. They may drop out of a race. They may miss a season because of injury, but instead of spending just the time like ruminating about it and thinking negatively about it and feeling sorry for themselves and, you know, thinking it's not fair, they create a plan for how they're going to get back and achieve what they want to achieve. So they spend less time in that negative space. They miss less training, um, they're more positive. They have that more optimism and that just kind of allows them to continue and, and just have more consistency in their career, which I think is a big factor in actually making it long-term as a, as a professional athlete. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, what I've seen out of like the best runners that were on my college team were ones that even though they were having a bad like race, it could be in the middle of a race, like you're feeling terrible. They're able to still perform well, like to a level maybe they didn't maybe they wanted to win but they still got third like they weren't giving up halfway through the race even though they felt bad and I think that just is I think that is just a characteristic of a lot of like really good runners because it is that mental side of it where you still believe in yourself enough even though you are having like a rough day to perform well it's just all about being consistent so I completely Mm -hmm. understand that um aspect of it yeah and just like along that note like a question just to ask athletes is like if you have a really bad race and you underperform, do you wake up the next morning at, and go to training or do you like spend that day feeling sorry for yourself? And does it take you a couple of days to get back to training? Because those like couple of days are very valuable and you can feel sorry for yourself, but 20 minutes, an hour. Um, but you need to actually get up in the next, the next morning and do your long run and stay motivated. Uh, cause, cause the more training you miss the, the further away your goals are getting. Yeah. And I think also realizing that every single person has bad races, like you're in every race isn't going to be good, even though you may look at someone you're like, oh, they've like, they'd never have bad races. Like, yeah, maybe they're more consistent, but in their own head, they're still thinking that races are bad. So I think that that is something that a lot of younger runners should realize off the bat is that not every day is going to be good. So no. how much of a difference do you think good mental health makes? on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. A big difference, right? If you are naturally, it's like when, when I just backing up a bit, when I think about mental health, there's like a spectrum. Um, and so there are people who suffer severe mental illness. And for those people, it can be very, very challenging to even activate and get out of bed and like have physical activity. And then there's probably like the middle space where people kind of fluctuate between, yeah, maybe they have some symptoms of depression and anxiety on some days, maybe they don't. And then there's like the the kind of upper end of like human performance, optimal functioning. And those people, they just, you know, they're not prone to experiencing negative emotions. They're not prone to experiencing anxiety. And so there, there is that huge, spe- there's that big spectrum. Now, I think anybody on the spectrum from um, mental illness can perform at an elite level. Just it's harder for some. They have to have greater skills. They have to overcome more. They have to have better coping mechanisms. Um, So if you're already super mentally healthy, then yeah, bad race, it's easier, just naturally easier for the way that your brain is wired for you to just brush off. You're going to get less worried about what might happen. You're going to, I mean, you're not, it's not like you're not, you're not going to experience adversity or have to overcome barriers, but it's overcoming those things just is easier for that person because of their mental health. Um, Whereas, you know, for some people like 
who are, who are more prone to those um, anxious thoughts and more prone to depression. It, it just, it's, they have to work harder um, to continue to, to persevere in some of those t- tougher moments of the sport. What would you say is like the best strategy for someone that is struggling with mental health as a runner, like going to someone like you going to therapy, like, what do you think it is? Yeah. So, um, if, if you have like, if you're kind of diagnosed with mental illness and you have like really severe mental health issues, I think you can attack it from both angles. Definitely seeing a clinician who specializes in treating that mental illness. And then also if if that sport performance is extremely important to you, working with someone like myself, who's that kind of sports performance psychology expert, because oftentimes athletes who suffer from mental illness, they, they sometimes talk about seeing a clinician or a therapist can be challenging because that person doesn't understand the centrality of that sport in their life. And oftentimes from, if the person is not trained in sports performance, it can seem like the sport is really unhealthy for them, right? If it causes these feelings of depression, anxiety, then they need to quit. I think that they need to figure out a way to deal with that adversity because whether it's a sporting environment or a high performing work environment or, you know, preparing for a big exam, those kind of same, um, like same problems are going to pop up and hurt that person. It's just, it seems to be specific to the sporting environment right now in their life. Um, so I almost feel like having kind of the, the balance of somebody who has that kind of sporting mind background that can help them optimize their performance in that sporting environment with some of those negative thoughts and mental health issues as important, as well as tackling it from, from a clinical perspective with a specialist who treats mental illness. Um, okay, another question that was really highly requested that you answer was how to deal with pre-race anxiety. Yeah. And I kind of, and I kind of, uh, I split it off into two different categories because I think people deal with it or like have pre-race anxiety in two different ways. For me, it was always from the pain. So I would just be so nervous because I knew it was going to be painful either way. It didn't even matter how the race went. It was going to be painful. And then there's other people that really deal with it because of the pressure of performance. So Mm -hmm. with both of those angles, how, how would you deal with someone struggling with that? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unfortunately it's like totally normal and it like, uh, doesn't go away. Um, so I I don't think I, I don't think I ever, and I was like you, I worried a lot about the pain. And then also in those higher pressures, it was like higher pressure competitions. It was the pain plus like, am I going to meet my performance expectation? Um, one trick that I started learning was like to not judge those feelings as negative. So normally when those, those emotions and those feelings start to creep up, how do we react? Like, oh no, I don't want to feel like this. Like, oh no, not again, not again. And maybe it makes you, like, I, I remember always wanting to just kind of like curl up in a ball or like hide from people. And so your instinct is to isolate and make yourself small and maybe increase that tension. Um, but if you can kind of have the perspective of, okay, I'm doing that thing that I do before I race because it's important to me and I care about it. I'm kind of spiraling into this a little bit of too much anxiety. Um, but this is fine. It's normal. It's like the way that my body gets ready for performances. So trying to just take away that negative association that you have with those feelings and like realize like, oh, this is kind of a characteristic of myself. And this means that I'm getting ready to race. Um, and then for different people, it's like finding things that help them get through that kind of race day more easily. Um, and for some people, it, it's focus and relaxation. For other people, it's distraction and laughter. Um, 
and that depends on your individual personality. Um, so typically you see people who are like really like higher anxiety, more perfectionistic, um, who kind of almost more prone to panic attacks before big competitions. A little bit of distraction is good for them, a little bit of like kind of keeping it lighthearted, uh, trying to think about things that aren't related to the race are very important. But then for other people who that anxiety maybe comes from like, are they prepared enough? Like, are they actually gonna focus? Are they gonna be able to get the most out of their body? Maybe having a little bit more of a focused routine can be really helpful. Yeah, that is it's so funny because it's, you can't really answer that question in one way because everyone is so different. Like I would show up to the starting line just like blabbing away, which I kind of feel bad for now, especially yeah. when I was younger. Like I would show up to the starting line just being like chatty Kathy. And I was like, people probably thought it was so annoying because then you have the other people that are like calm and serene and they're like listening to their music. They don't want anyone to talk to them. So it is really hard to answer that question. But yeah, I think just generally like, relaxing is probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And like generally recognizing it's not a bad thing to feel that way before a race. It is normal. And I think as soon as you just allow yourself to like embrace it instead of fight it, it's, it's just easier to manage. Yeah. Um, okay. What causes like a mental block? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. Like like someone that is looking to break that 11 minute barrier in a 3200 and they just, they get to like halfway and they see that they're not running like to the 11 minutes splits or whatever. And then they just give up and it's just kind of like that every race or yeah, just like in any race, I guess, giving up in the middle of it just because they have repeatedly done it every single time. Okay. Um, so I think that's often driven by there is, there can be a disconnect. Like you, you have this expectation of what's going to happen and you've kind of played out in your mind exactly what needs to happen to execute that performance goal. So let's kind of stick with the 11 minutes and the two mile. And so you come through the mile at 532 and you're already like, oh, I'm pretty tired or I'm going to have to pick it up. And you start forward thinking, you allow your brain to get ahead of where your feet are. And then suddenly it's like a monkey jumps on your back because you're thinking way too far in advance and you're getting tense and you're not focusing on what you're doing. Your shoulders are probably starting to lift to your ears. Your lungs start to tighten up. And then you finish that race. Maybe you run 11.15 or 11.20. And then you go to the race next race and you're trying to break 11 again. Well, what are you thinking about? I hope what, does, what happened last time doesn't happen again. And so what's on your mind? What happened last time? And what you think is oftentimes what ends up like your body ends up doing. Um, and so almost by trying to prevent, like trying to be like, okay, I'm not gonna let that happen again. I'm not gonna let that happen again. What's running through that athlete's mind is tightening up, getting too tired in the second half. And so what's likely gonna happen? They're gonna execute that. Uh, so those are, those are definitely things that, that click, um, can start a mental block. In general, I think having, putting too much pressure on one outcome goal without having any like process goals of this is how I'm going to do it, or this is what I want to execute or breaking it down into smaller components can, can create that mental block just because it increases that tension in that those final moments of the race where you're trying to, to achieve that goal and tension in the middle of a race is never good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like struggle with that mental block at least some point in their life. Oh, so sure. yeah. Yeah. Again, I think it's, it's, hard to it's so hard to answer these questions in like one way because everyone is so different 
yeah but that is a good like summary of what you can do to help tackle that mid-race funk at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah. Um, what are the best runners saying to themselves mid-race? Um, so again, it depends. So there are like kind of two types of self-talk. There's like motivational self-talk and then there's instructional self-talk. And that motivational self-talk is like, you're a badass. You got this, like, you're strong. You're so powerful. Um, you're deserving. So like, you know, things that really are positive about yourself and can keep your mind in that positive, um, state. And then there's more of that instructional self-talk. That's like, you know, keep your shoulders relaxed. Like, keep the rhythm of your feet smooth, um, focus on your breathing where you're giving yourself instructions. And depending on, again, depending on that person, some people really prefer the motivational self-talk and some people really for just kind of the basic instructions and kind of breaking it, simplifying um, down the race. Uh, and so, yeah, so athletes are probably using a, a, maybe a combination. Um, I know I worked on kind of developing what self-talk was best for me. And honestly, the phrase that I used to say in the middle of the race was like, relax your brain. So I used to feel like halfway through the race, just kind of like that example of that maybe athlete trying to break 11 minutes in the mile in the two mile, I would get too forward thinking of like where I'm at in the race, what's going to happen next, how tired I am, how tired I might get. And as soon as I caught myself on that thinking track, I was like, what are you doing? You're just like sabotaging your race right now. So turn that brain off. And if I just said over and over, like, relax your brain, relax your brain, it would stop it from latching on to any thoughts that were not helpful in that moment. Um, but then, but then I know other athletes who, you know, do that, that like, you've got this. And like, some people even say it like out loud a little bit, you know, just to hear themselves. Um, and then some are really focused on more of those technical aspects of, of, you know, their form or their rhythm or their breathing. That's so funny. I feel like every runner has like a little mantra, at least in their head. Um, you see like runners come up with little phrases every year, just like to kind of define their year or whatever. That's probably what they're thinking mid-race. And like one thing that you mentioned is like kind of the phrase that somebody uses throughout the year. So one of the problems that I see with athletes, like something maybe worked for them one year and they try to continue to use it, but just like your skills, like evolve physically as you continue to improve, you have to shift kind of your mantra and your mindset and what you're doing. One of the biggest mistakes, and this is pretty relevant for high school athletes, is high school athletes will try and transfer what they did in high school to win a state championship to what they're doing in college. It's a completely different situation. Your physicality has to grow um, to be able to compete on that collegiate stage, and your mentality also has to grow with that. Um, and so just kind of a reminder to to update, you know, the things that you're saying, what you're doing, kind of where your mind is at in pre-race um, as you 
escalate in the ranks in terms of competition. Yeah, I got to keep evolving. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. Hmm. How do you get over comparison to your past self? Like a good example would be someone that won state championships in high school and then maybe now they find themselves mid-pack in the middle of a D1 college race getting like a hundredth in a race. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is a really challenging one. And I think we all know that happens. Like no one is immune to a performance plateau or performance decline. Um, And I think that is, again, like that kind of gets back to some of that, some of that motivational aspect and like, what do you, like, what is the value in what you're doing? And like, what is your purpose? And if for, for some people, there's an injury issue or just like physically your body has changed and maybe, maybe you, you won't get back. And maybe that's not a realistic um, goal for some people, they can get back and it is a realistic goal. So just kind of depending on, on which category you fall in, I think finding value in other things that you can do that are not your performances. So maybe in high school, you were, state champion, but were you a great teammate? Were you doing everything right um, in terms of like uh, sleep and nutrition and supporting others and taking care of your body? And if not, then this is an opportunity to grow in those areas. There's so much growth that you can have on a team beyond just the number associated with the distance that you're running. Um, and if you have to get creative in finding how you're going to judge your growth and your evolution in college, if the times might not represent that. Um, but yeah, there's always, there's always something. And, and that's like, on a, I, those are some of my really fun conversations is working with athletes who are like, no, I don't feel like I'm getting better. Like, I think it's, it's useless. I'm hopeless. Like there's no purpose in what I'm doing. I'm like, whoa, there absolutely is. So let's like take a step back and let's kind of figure out where you can input value and how you can add to that team environment. Yeah. And I think that's like injured runners too. Yeah. And I think that's really important for like, especially freshmen, because that transition from high school to college is so difficult. And you see a lot of freshman runners like struggling their freshman year. Um, and it's really rare to see like freshman runners perform really well just because it is such a big transition. So I think that's really good advice to like, you know, just kind of focus on something else during that year, just because it is like such a, a strength building year and you just need to kind of figure things out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I get, I get a lot of like questions about people. Cause I transferred my freshman year, um, mid year actually. And I get a lot of people like that, just an influx of freshmen that are looking to transfer but I never really recommend transferring either because it is such a transitional year that I think just a lot of like freshmen have a hard time and they're not seeing, like they're comparing themselves to their past self. They're not seeing that performance, but it takes a long time to like get to the level that you are. That's why you don't see very many freshmen performing at that high level yet, but. Yeah. yeah. And like, I always think, I, I mean, I guess, so my trajectory in college, I, I wasn't very, like, I didn't, even get a conference medal until my junior year. And then, um, wasn't until my fifth year that I was really good. And so I really view like the trajectory of performance as like a four or five year pathway, depending on if the school that you're at allows you to redshirt. And if there's a freshman who is upset that they are not as good as they were in high school, it's like, come on, is that rational? Like your mileage has increased. There's a completely new environment around you. You're out of your house for the first time ever. Like, do you think you're superhuman? Um, and so, yeah, let's start kind of having this conversation around what improvement looks like and like what you need to do your freshman year so that maybe like your sophomore and your junior year, you can, you can be where you want to be, but like, 
let's not put all, all our eggs in the freshman basket. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, they're just probably comparing themselves because freshmen or like when you're in high school, I feel like it's easier to see performance gains or like a lot of people just kind of break out their freshman year where they're like, oh my gosh, I have this talent. Like I didn't even know whatever. And I think it's just kind of hard to come to the reality that like that, I don't know, it takes a while to like see fitness gains once you reach a certain level. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a lot of that too, but things get better over time. <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah. Um, okay. This is, oh my gosh. Okay. This is kind of a, a similar question. How, how do athletes be imposter syndrome when they begin competing on a new stage? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think the first thing is everybody has imposter syndrome. Like I, it's one of the things that with athletes going to the Olympics, I've been talking about a lot because there'll be some athletes that will show up in that arena and they'll be like, what am I doing here? And it's like most first time Olympians feel like, uh, did I actually like deserve the spot here? How did I like, I know I worked really hard, but you start to kind of doubt how you got there. And I think that's a completely normal process. Um, and I know even, even at, I, I went to Rice University in Houston and beyond the athletes, just the students on campus, they always have a large conversation that the majority of people feel like an imposter, like they maybe got lucky or there was like a selection mistake on why they were at the university. Um, and actually having that broad conversation across campus was really enlightening to me being like, oh, everybody feels like this. Literally everybody is like, did somebody just kind of like sneak me in the door by accident? Um, And if you don't feel like an imposter in your first year of a transition into like a new bigger stage, then maybe you have like a little bit of an inflated sense of confidence, which is, which can be great, right? Which it can be really beneficial, but that can also undermine you at times because it means that you might not prepare as much as you need to, to perform in that stage. So, so the, the slight benefit of being an imposter is what does that do? It drives you to dot every I and cross every T and do everything that you can do because you don't want somebody to find out and you want to be able to match the performances of your peers on that stage. And so that can actually drive you to, to do really well. Whereas on the flip side, if you don't feel like that, you're gonna be like, ah, I belong, I got this, which is very rare to find an athlete who actually feels like that. So I almost feel like it's how athletes are wired, right? We're wired by oh my goodness, everybody here, like, are they doing more than I am? Like, am I ready? Am I prepared? And so I can kind of help performances. Yeah. That's so funny. Cause when I, I transferred to Oregon my freshman year and I got there and I was like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing here? But I think that the whole situation just kind of helped me level up my entire like performances to match the other people. So yeah. Yeah, I can really relate to what you're saying there because I definitely felt the sense of that when I got onto campus. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, I think everyone does. Um, I mean, I would be interested, like how many how many freshmen, you know, that show up on Oregon campus are like, got this, it's in the bag. Like, I mean, that would be really rare. So if, like, unfortunately, imposter syndrome is the norm. And I think just recognizing, okay, me and everybody feel like this because we really want to perform can just help you get through that, that kind of imposter stage. Yeah. I wonder why like imposter syndrome is so common because it's like in all areas of my life like it's in work it's in everything I'm like why does no one like why is everyone struggling with this why does no one believe in themselves I don't get it yeah um I think it's just it's something that high performers have because like I said the the flip side of not feeling like that is also strange of being like (laughs) let me me just sit behind my desk and put my feet up and (laughs) I know exactly what I'm doing here (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to meet that person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm trying to think of if I know of anyone like that, but I don't think I do. 
Um, okay. How do you know when to keep pushing yourself to do better and when to take a break? Uh, this this uh, is a great question. I love this question. Um, and I'll just say on the sports psychology side, I get a, I get a lot of athletes to come to me that like, I'm mentally weak. And I'm like, I actually think that you are very, very mentally strong. I think that you might be physically burned out. I think you might have gone to the well too many times this season. I think that all of those workouts that your coach gave you, if you know you can make them eight to 12 miles and you did all of them at 12 miles for the last two years has maybe contributed to a little bit of chronic fatigue. Um, and that can be a really tough issue because a lot of athletes attribute, you know, kind of symptoms of chronic fatigue or like, like true true uh, physical burnout to not being mentally strong enough. And what does that do? It makes them push more and it digs them into a deeper hole. And I know this from experience because I dug myself into the deepest, darkest hole. Um, and then basically was given this great gift of my coach telling me, you know, let's not let let's for, for three to four months, let's just run with a heart rate under 150. And I actually got more fit. <laughs> from doing that than doing any workouts. And so I kind of have this personal example of like, oh, wow, sometimes it is really great to take a step back and just let your talent and your body and your will take over instead of continuing to hammer. And so I think some symptoms are this are, have, are there multiple weeks on end where you feel like you have dead legs? Is like one day off not doing the trick for you? Do you feel like your heart is starting to skyrocket on an easy run? Do you feel like when you, you know, it's that last rep and you used to be able to close it, you're suddenly like going backwards. And so there are, there are just some things where if you compare yourself to how you were training and like how you felt maybe earlier in the season before this happened and how you're feeling now, like those are maybe some signs that whether it's a 10 day break or just running with like a little bit of a lower heart rate or just taking a step back for a bit will actually propel you forward. How many weeks off after like a season do you recommend as a sports psych? Um, gosh, so I think I'm, I'm good with like a good two week break. Um, I, I think it, it can be hard, right? So some athletes you're, you're bargaining with them, take one more day off. Like I'll, I'll let you, you know, I'll let you run harder when you come back, if you take one more day off. Um, so it can be really challenging, but part of the process of like training is actually conditioning and then like deconditioning and reconditioning. Um, and so I don't think that athletes should have like a fear or a strict timeline around how much they take off. And my, my coach, Jim Bevan over at Rice would always be like, yeah, take, take 10 days, take two weeks. If you still don't feel like running after that, take a few more days. And then, you know, eventually he'd be like, okay, well, well you got to start again. But, you know, most of the time people get the itch to come back on their own. And um, I think kind of challenging yourself to take that two week break and viewing it as like, can I, can I actually take this time off and seeing the long-term benefit, um, can be, can be really helpful. What do you think the mental long-term benefit of that break is? Oh yeah. Sustainability for sure. Like if, if you don't take that break, then you're not actually allowing yourself to switch off from performances or even like during that break, you kind of that's where you start getting, you know, you get excited about running again. Like you want to get back to the track. And so you start kind of visualizing some of the goals and some of the things you want to do. And it helps rebuild that fire during that rest period. Um, also helps you realize like how much you love running and how much you miss it. Uh, so if you don't take that break, then I don't, like, I honestly don't understand how people make it through the year without stepping away. 
Yeah, I don't get it either. I was always like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for my break, you know? So, but I mean, I know so many people that are really struggle to take that one week off. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm like, how? I really love my two to three week break that I would take every year. Yeah. And some coaches are like even more, I mean, I think it kind of depends on, on how you are as an athlete and who your coaches are, but I know some athletes who take even like more than two weeks and the, and then there are some who their coaches are just fighting for the athlete to take three or four days off after the season. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was more, it was all mental for me. Like physically, I feel like I was fine basically after all the seasons, but then it was just mentally that I was like, I need just time away. Just like you said, to get rejuvenated for the next season. So yeah. again, this question is just so individual to each person though. Um, okay. How do you dig deeper into the pain cave? Oh yeah. I love this. Um, so I remember when I ran it, when I ran at rice, we used to talk about, um, like hopping on the paint, like hopping on the pain train and we would kind of make it lighthearted. Like we're all going to take a ride on the pain train and, and this is going to be really, really, really awful, but it's going to be great. Um, and so again, one of the, one of the tools that I used was like reevaluating it and, and I, I like to bring some humor into some, some training sessions. So oh like, yeah, you need the humor. Like, Got to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah, this is so painful. It's like, I must be getting better. Like this is going to pay off. Um, and I, I think, I think there was, I want to say it was like Jenny Simpson. I think I was, this is back when I was running, I was listening to an interview with her and she talked about how like a pain monster like jumps on your back and rears it head rears its head at a point in every single race. If that pain monster doesn't show up, then you're not running hard enough. And so what is your reaction to the pain monster? Generally to put your foot on the brake to be like, this is kind of scary. I'm going to like slow down a little bit. But if instead when that pain monster rears its head, if you're like, yeah, I'm going to lean into this, like I am going to actually put my foot on the gas a little bit because now that the pain monster is here, we are in the zone that I have trained for. I haven't trained for races to be easy. I've trained for them to be hard and to sustain when they are hard. Um, and just kind of swapping your feel, your, your kind of what, what your goals are when you start to, to feel that pain can be really helpful. Um, and I used to smile like purposefully when it got to that point where I was like, oof, it hurts, which means baby, it's time to roll and all that training, it's time to show it instead of being fearful. Um, so shifting your reaction to like, oh yeah, it's go time. Yeah. That's so funny. I feel like a lot of coaches, like I just hear on the outskirts when I'm running a cross country race, smile, give me a smile. And I think yeah. my coach did that sometimes too in college, because yeah. maybe it just helps keep it more lighthearted. Like you said, I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. And also, we're doing it for fun, right? We're doing it because we like it. Like we yeah. really like pushing our bodies. And if you can remind yourself, you just forget that when it's in, when you're in the middle of a race. And so if there's a little reminder that you can give yourself. Yeah. And also realizing that even when you do like let up on the gas, like say that you're just not having a very good race and then you decide to slow down, like it still hurts. It's not, it's never easy. It literally feels like the same. And then, but then one of them, you finish the race and you're like proud of yourself. And the other one, you finish your race. You're like, oh man, like I really just let myself like slow down or whatever. But at the end of the day, both hurt. So there's not really a win winning situation out of that. You're not going to lessen up the pain anyway. So you might as well just embrace it. Honestly, when you embrace the pain, I, it hurts less because you're not, yeah, you're not, not, not self-pitying yourself. Yeah. And you're not like, you're not, when you have that kind of fear response, you start getting that shallow breathing and you get tense and you like are 
making it just harder for yourself. Whereas if you can have a more relaxed approach to leaning into that pain, you can, you can ride it out for longer, faster. So you're more likely to run your best time ever and it's going to hurt less. Yeah. I think what really helped me, it's so dramatic, but I would literally like, I would prepare for the hardest race of my life every time I was about to get on the starting line because I was either going to be pleasantly surprised with how good I felt or it was going to live up to the expectation. But either way, like, I don't know. I felt like I was prepared. I mean, some races went better than others, but that was, that was how I handled like the mental side of it. Just knowing that that pain was coming and like being able to embrace it rather than like letting myself wallow in self-pity in the middle of it when it hits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple more questions. Um, how do you handle pressure or how would you recommend someone handles pressure from like outward sources, like their parents, their coach, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it's just unfortunate when you have like kind of an external source, that's like adding that pressure. Um, so the first thing that I would ask is, is a lot of people feel like their coach and their parents are kind of building the pressure and sometimes they are, but a lot of times that pressure is actually internal and they're kind of projecting it onto their coach. Like my coach is going to be upset with me. They're going to be so upset with me if I don't win. Any coach has coached hundreds or thousands of athletes understands that performances are unpredictable. They're, they're not like, no one's, no one's doing, no one's gonna just ban you from the team and like not want to see if you don't perform well that's not a real thing um and and probably the same with your parents yes like your parents probably want the best for you because they know that you have a lot of expectations for yourself but it's really rare that our parents are like nope you're walking home if you don't win this race um i mean there are a few cases (laughs) i have seen that one time someone had to run behind their car on the way home some youth runner it was so bad yeah. So that, that's really bad. Like that's kind of borderline abusive parenting. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, but then it, it's kind of realizing, but getting back to like, why are you running? Are you running to please other people? And, and in general in life, this is like a great life lesson. If you're doing this for external reasons to meet the expectations of, of a boss or a spouse or a sibling or family members, then you're probably not bringing your best performances. And it can be really challenging when people close to you, like your coach and your parents put this pressure on you. But the best way to deal with it is to just look inside yourself and think, well, what do I want to get out of this performance? And how can I compartmentalize their goals for me and the pressure that they're putting on me and what I want to do for myself um, and focusing more on some of those, those internal goals that, that you have for yourself in that moment will help you on the track and also in life. Yeah, I think when I was in college, I kind of like let external pressure, but it was like, it was like projecting. Like, I don't think anyone really had that high of expectations for me. Like no one was expecting me to go win NCAAs or whatever, but I like just had this like fear for my first two years. I was like, oh my goodness. Like I'm not, I need to like live up to this expectation, whatever. And then I started, I, once I realized that I'm literally doing this for myself and for fun is when I started running really well because of the, all like that external pressure in my brain of like, my coach is going to kick me off the team or whatever, or my scholarship's going to get cut. Um, I think once I just like literally let go of that and I was like, who cares what they think? And I'm literally like running is supposed to be fun. And then when I like stopped putting that pressure on myself is when I actually started one enjoying running again, like enjoying racing and showing up in the starting line, being way less nervous Mm -hmm. and just like realizing that at the end of the day, like that's what running is about is about having fun. Even if you are at a level, like you're running at Oregon, like at the end of the day, it's your life. You want to have fun with the sport. Um, yeah. So I think it is just really important to kind of let 
that external pressure go but it also is interesting how you said like it definitely is a lot of it is projecting it's like yeah coaches I've seen so many people like run and you said like it's unpredictable so no one like I don't know it's like no one is expecting you to like conquer the world and if they are it's probably just yourself projecting onto what they are thinking yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that's always the case because at the end of the day, a really invested coach, he, he, you may feel pressure for them. They're all they want for you is for you to be happy and like for you to to be satisfied with your performances if they're a good coach. And their goal is never to try and inhib- inhibit that performance by creating that sense that they're putting pressure on yourself. So if you're feeling that from your coach, like have a real good think about it um, and really like why would your coach do that if they're actually investing time in making you the best runner that they can possibly make? Um, they, they wouldn't want to, to sabotage your performances by adding undue pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Well, I think actually, I think that was, Oh wait, no, I want to talk about how would you deal with someone that comes in? Like maybe they're chronically injured or they're having like their first injury dealing with just the injury aspect of mental headspace. Yeah. Um, so the first, the first injuries and are always challenging and chronic injuries too. Uh, but it's something that every athlete goes through at some point. I, I would be willing to bet that everybody that has, is, will be lining up at the Olympics has had to, what somebody has labeled a career ending injury at some point. I mean, I had a career ending injury. It wasn't, but people love to put that terminology onto (laughs) injuries, which is like a whole different story. Um, I think it's, it can, the, the most challenging thing about the injury is how are you going to remain integrated with the team and continue to, to feel a little bit of optimistic, like, um, like you're going to be able to reach your goals one day. And so when people are dealing with that injury, it's again, thinking how like create structure, create a plan, have checks every day. This is another thing that happens. People will be like, Oh, it's like not getting any better. Like it's been three weeks and it's no better. And I'm like, okay, actually let's kind of go back in your journal. Like three weeks ago, what were you doing? I was in a boot and yeah, I couldn't even walk. Okay. What did you do today? Well, I, I, I ran two minutes on one minute off. I think that's progress, you know? And this is like the whole thing is, is people just, especially motivated runners, they want to get back quickly and they want to do things really, really well. Um, so I definitely encourage people to keep an injury log just to, ha- just to keep perspective on that trajectory of improvement. And maybe every day doesn't get better, but I would say week to week and um, you know, every couple weeks, you should be able to see that improvement and gaining energy from that. So as humans, we love progress. If you have to get creative about finding progress by creating a journal, then that's what you have to do. And that's a good way to do it. Um, I always encourage people to stay integrated with their team as much as they can. So what happens when people get injured? They stop going to practice a lot. They don't want to show up. It's too hard for them. It's too painful for them to watch their teammates. Use that as a challenge. There are tons of opportunities, first of all, to learn a lot about the psychology of the sport. Look at your teammates run, like increase your running IQ. Um, Find a way to be a supportive teammate. Um, find a way to deal with the heartache because it'll make you stronger. And so I think remaining as integrated as possible is, is really important. Um, and that can be challenging too, because people are like, oh, well, I have to cross train. I can't be with my teammates. And I get that, but there are, there are still ways to remain really involved um, and ways to kind of set those goals to, to make it all the way back. And I think just realizing that injuries are temporary, 
Like, yeah. even if you are chronically injured, like you see these people that are, you know, making it to the Olympics that maybe had years of strings of injury. And so you will come out the other side. It just, it's about patience. And I know runners like, I mean, yes, we are patient, but no, we're, we're overall now. No. Yeah. I, overall, I day day, probably like, not. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, that's basically like all the questions I have, but do you have any general advice just to um, anyone listening about the mental side of running? Yeah, I would say, okay. I think my general advice is that when we, when you think about running and even like when I think about sports psychology interventions to help athletes perform, it is extremely individual as it's come up throughout this podcast. And if you are trying to follow the plan that is going to get you that division one scholarship or do the number one thing that is going to allow you to break five in the mile, it's probably like, it's probably some faulty thinking in there because what allows somebody to to do something great is not necessarily the same thing that that will make you great. Um, And the more authentic you can be to yourself in your pursuit of becoming the best runner that you want to be, the more success you're going to have. The more you try to do it like the person on your team who is the best or the person who you want to be with, the more barriers you're going to run into. So as hard as it is, I just encourage people to to do things, to do things the right way that works for them and and to find a, a kind of group of support people, whether it's teammates or coach or like a sports psychologist just to just to help them figure out what that looks like for them can people work with you like what is is there anything that you want like what do you want to plug at the end of this Um, episode um yeah I mean maybe people people can work with me um they can also I mean I have I can I can help refer people my my schedule is very busy but I can absolutely help I can help refer people to resources. I'm like, I, you know, I, I love to do team talks. If there's like a coach out there that's listening or if there are maybe a, a group of athletes who are one, on one team that would like, like to have kind of a preseason chat or a midseason chat. Um, I definitely have time for that in terms of like taking on one-on-one clients. I, I have limited time. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Concerning what you said your qualifications were, I would assume that you were very busy, but I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, of course. And answer everyone's questions. So, and I am, I'm absolutely passionate about getting more high school runners working with sports psychologists because what some of the research that we've done has shown that or like the earlier exposure that athletes have to somebody like myself, the more likely they are to continue to use those resources. And so if, you know, especially in high school, it's like with females, just kind of like eating issues, like you know, not taking care of their bodies, doing things what they feel like is the way that they're supposed to, having that conversation and, and kind of rewiring what they think they're supposed to do with actually what high performance is about at that young age can just help them avoid so many of the problems that college athletes face. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with all of us today. Yeah, those are, those are great questions. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. It was a super fun conversation. Like I said, I'm going to post the shortened video version on my YouTube channel eventually here soon once I get my computer back up and running. But I hope you guys got something out of this episode. Mental health and just the general mental side of running is super important. So I think either working from a sports psychologist or just hearing more about their perspectives, I think is really informative. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at commas over cold brew pod if you want to be up to date the latest episodes and don't forget to rate and review on apple podcasts thank you guys so much for listening and i will hear from you guys in the next one peace out fellas 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.